This is Strange Assembly episode 159, Double Back. Well, hey guys, it, it's it's been a, a bit since we've uh, managed to show up for one of these things, eh? Uh, a little bit. Who are you people? Uh, let me think. I'm Chris. You are J-Bob. And that's... Correct. <laughs> and Mikey, right there. Mikey. It's better than what I get usually. <laughs> that is correct, Topher. <laughs> uh, this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can check us out at strangeassembly.com or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Yeah, I am Chris Stevenson. These other gentlemen are actually J. Earl. Hi. Yeah, there you go. You're going to say something so they know which voice you are. <laughs> and then that's Mike Cook. Uh, hello. There's been, what is it, a month and a half, basically, at this point? A li- over a month. Yeah, stop getting stop getting sick, Chris. That's not cool. Yeah, I got sick. I had a death in, fam- in the family. Then when I got back, I had some work travel. So it turns out that when I'm not here recording the episodes, they don't just magically do themselves. Urgh. Right, I kept showing up, nothing happened, I was horribly confused. <laughs> you you and Mike got on Skype on Tuesday afternoon, talked to each other for about get Doomtown Reloaded for a while, and then went, wait, right. why, why isn't there an episode of this? I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, it was totally confusing. I don't know what, what was going on. But uh, we are getting together for this to look back at... at 2014 and 2013, actually. Uh, last year, we kind of impromptu talked about the games that we liked the best that so far uh, that year, and then everybody had Viticulture on their shortlist, so we declared Viticulture to be the unofficial game of the year for 2013, and it was sort of unofficial for, for two reasons. One, it was impromptu and wasn't a formalistic system, but the other thing is, I, I think that because it takes a long time to really get around to all of the games. You can't, for most people at least, and certainly not us, get to the end of a calendar year and just definitively say, oh yeah, this is definitely the best game for this year, despite the fact that I haven't played, you know, 15 really nifty games, 10 of which just came out at Essen and haven't even been released in my country yet. So, I mean, in addition to that, some games end up getting better or getting worse, at least for the individual, based on more plays, which you'll see some of here. So what we're going to do is first go back to 2013, and having had the chance to mostly play everything of note from 2013, I I say mostly because I, I mean I know there's at least a, a couple things on here that only the one person has actually played, even from 2013. Or at least one thing like that. And then we'll go into 2014. So I guess halfway through this episode, I guess we will declare our official, final, final answer 2013 game of the year. And so each of us is going to have a, a top five, and we'll go through those. Most of these games will be things that you've heard us talk about before, so we're not going to do big, long reviews of them or anything like that. But just say why we like them. So. Why don't you kick us off, Jay? What is your number five game of 2013? 
now that you've had the chance to look back? My number five game was Euphoria, the um, dice placement game. Trying to remember the name of the company. It's the same company. Stonemeyer. Stonemeyer, thank you. We were all excited about Euphoria last year. We did a big review of it in one of our episodes near the end of 2013. And I think it's fair to say we were kind of lukewarm at best on this. So what has happened over the last year that it seems Euphoria has gone up in your estimation? It has. I've played it a couple more times. I think part of it was just different playing it with different groups, getting different mechanics out. I mean, I think a large part of it is the first group I was playing it with regularly was a lot of people with the same strategy, such that you did not see a lot of the subtle developments that really enhanced the game. You also had a lot more fighting over certain areas without fighting over other areas. So that was uh, Euphoria for Jay. What was your number five, Mike? My number five was Battle Lore. Battle Lore is essentially kind of like a remake, reskin, redo of the Richard Borg game, rethemed with their rune system, you know, their rune quest and all that type of uh, good stuff world. It's a two-player war game where you have the map that's laid out that you can either build it or you can play scenarios where you put stuff down. And I'll be honest, I came to this really, really late, and I came to it through the app because they released the app on iOS like a week ago, and I played a ton of it after that came out. Is Battle Lore the one that uses the command and color system like Memoir 44 does? It's modified. I got the original Battle Lore in that set that was like heavily discounted that Fantasy Flight found out they couldn't produce after they had bought the license, if anybody remembers that, level like five, six years ago. So I got that and I played it, but it was really too random for me. In a miniatures game, there's already a lot of randomness, so choosing which troop you're going to move was a little bit too much randomness for me. Then they put out the Battles of Westeros game, which I also picked up, which obviously was a uh, Game of Thrones-themed game. And that one modified it a little bit, because instead you rolled dice, and then normally the dice would tell you what you hit, would also tell you what units you had to activate that turn. So that was a nice interesting twist. In this one, it's the same. I activate units because the board is divided up laterally into three columns, like left, center, and right. And it'll tell you, okay, activate two left and one right, and that's how it balances things out. What this game does is you have access. There's like seven or ten cards that let you mix and match. You know, it's, it's that same thing of three center or two left, one right. But the twist here is you have access to all of them, but once you use them, they're gone until you use a refresh, a refresher card, which is not as good, but will give you access back to all of your cards again. Oh, and I thought that was actually a, a really good twist on the system and made it actually more interesting. My number five for 2013 is Coal Baron. This is also a worker placement sort of Euro game. And this, though, your your workers are cubes, literally just cubes, but you've got a, a kind of stack of them. And one of the things that you get to do is evict people out of spots. So instead of just having it be one worker to a spot, if somebody else assigns to a spot and assigns one cube, then you can take two of your cubes and, and kick them out. And now you can take that action. Sometimes it's worth it to actually just 
preemptively assign a second cube when you're assigning your first if you're not really going to be able to use that last cube just to make other people's lives a little more difficult. You have your own mine, and you have to use... One of the things you can generate from placing workers on your board is to create action points in, down in your mine, which lets you move your cart up and down. You have to get the coal out of the mine and then deliver it. And your victory points vary depending on what kind of coal you're delivering and how you're delivering it. And every game, there are different sort of missions, let's call them, for how much you delivered or how you delivered it. The eviction mechanic was the most distinctive thing about it, but I think it was just a really solid Euro. And that was my number five game for 2013, Colbaron. Baron. Who wants to take... I'll just say this, uh, all of our number fours are the same. Do you want to talk about it, Jay? I don't care. I can, sure. Okay, you first. Go. So, apparently everyone's number four was Trains by AEG. Trains is a deck-building game with a board component. It's in the style of Dominion, where you have the start layout. Every All the cards are out in stacks. You know what everything is. But unlike a traditional deck-builder like Dominion, it's very much about the board. The board is where you're going to get most, if not all, of your points. The cards are used to advance the board. But also it has an interesting slowdown mechanic in that pretty much everything you do that's going to score you points is also going to be putting worthless junk cards into your deck, diluting how good your draws are. Trance is very much feels like Dominion with a board, which you know is I guess a negative if you're questioning how you know creative or original it is, but it's a positive in that Dominion was fantastic. There's a reason why it spawned a whole genre. But it's, for me at least, I say Dominion was an amazing game, and yet I have played so much Dominion that it's it's hard for me to get that out again. So the biggest upside is to me of Trains is that it brings something that's really distinctive to what Dominion was doing, such that it's it's fresh enough that I enjoy playing it again. I guess probably its negative is that the it really could use greater card selection if you're just talking about getting the base game. I really like the game. I thought just adding that one extra element added a lot. But yeah, the card pool is by far the weakest point of it. And it's not just that there's not enough cards. It's that there's so many cards that replicate what other cards do, just at different like cost values, and that makes it really boring. I feel like they have too many draw cards as well. You want some of that to build an engine, but when someone's engine gets too good too fast, it just slows down the game for everybody else. And then you add positioning on top of that. Instead of just, do I buy a victory point card or do I make my uh, deck a little bit better? Yeah, and that's that, that's actually interesting. The first sort of strategic thing I would notice that I often, like at the start of games of trains, I don't usually lay rails or even maybe do stations much at the beginning of the game, because if you start building your network right away, you start accumulating enough waste quickly enough that it's hard to really get to the sexy cards. On the other hand, if you spend forever uh, making your deck awesome while other people are putting out a bunch of stations, then you may have a hard time catching up with points. And it's more expensive for you. Oh, I guess I'll note, since we discussed this at the end of 2013, 
Trains was released in Asia in 2012, and although it's a bit unfair or something, we're basically for games being released in Asia don't really penetrate into the sort of American-European market perception in the way that, for example, a game released in Europe, almost immediately awareness of that happens in the United States and, you know, demand starts to, to come. There really, there almost has to be a publisher that is going out and finding Asian games and actively bringing them over. And so, although Trains came out in, I think, 2012, not in this market, we were counting that as a as a 2013 game because there was no way on earth any of us were going to play it in 2012. We hadn't even heard of it in 2012. So it, it gets to go into to 2013. Okay, Jay, uh, how about number three? My number three appears later on someone else's list. What, what about you, Mike? I don't know what you're going to say here either. My number three is later on somebody else's. Oh my gosh, who's... Whose list could that be? I wonder if their number threes are the same. My number three also appears later on someone else's list. Jay, number two? Do, do we have a fourth person involved? <laughs> no, my no. number three appears later on someone's list, but it's not the same as your number oh, okay. threes that appear later on someone else's list. <laughs> Fair enough. So is my number two good, or is my number two... Am I talking Your about? number two is the highest placement for this game, so you actually get to talk about it. Okay, so my number two was Viticulture. Was that your number three? Viticulture was my number three. Right. So Viticulture is another worker placement game. It's done in four seasons where the first thing you do is you figure out the turn order, then you have a certain set of actions available, you get a free card, and then you have another set of actions available. The conceit of the game is that you're a, like, winery where in the summer you're prepping grapes, and in the winter you're planting and making wine and trying to sell your wine around and so forth. And I think this is one of the best worker placements I've played. It's it's got a very it's got a very nice balance of what's available. It definitely does have a few bottleneck points and you want that in a worker placement, but I almost feel like it has a few too many and they're kind of the same. Yeah, this was my number 3 and I and I Michael chime in a little bit. I'll note that Right, this was on Mike's shortlist at the end of last year and is now not on it at all. But have you played with the sort of second edition stuff? I'm trying to remember what was in the second edition stuff. The Grande Meeple was the main thing that you could have played with. The idea where like you have one super meeple that can that is not does not get blocked by the fact that somebody else is already there. Right, I have I have not yet played with the, that. No, I'm... I think they had kind of announced that as a variant rule before the second edition came out. The second edition came out a few months ago. Jay and I, oh, I know I did, and I think Jay did. Both did the Kickstarter for Tuscany, which is the expansion yep. to Viticulture, and I and I think along with that, you can either 
get a second edition copy of Viticulture, or if you have the first edition, you can get the little pack that gives you the, the bigger set of meeples. But then that second edition stuff doesn't ship until Tuscany comes out. So I think for U.S. backers, the delivery date for that is from December 18th to 24th, and that's two days from now. So we have not actually played with the second edition stuff, but clearly that Grande Meeple thing, they recognized that there were a lot of people involved. It was just a little too <laughs> yeah. harsh on, on the ability to, to clog things up sometimes. So I guess you as... So, right, Viticulture, is that got our preliminary unofficial game of the year at the end of 2013. Mike, it's it's dropped at least off of a, you know, a rarefied top five list. It's dropped entirely off of your list now. Did you have anything particular you wanted to talk about why that had happened or? Yeah, well, you know, I dropped it off a cliff because I got locked out due to random stuff that you draw. I got super salty and now I hate the game. <laughs> um yeah Jay was there for that game he remembers that game yep actually it was two games in a row that that happened maybe we'll get the chance to to play it with the second edition because one of the other things that the tuscany expansion i guess the way you're quote-unquote supposed to play it is it's got what eight mini expansions in it and so you do yeah. something like play a second edition game and then the winner gets to choose which mini expansion to add in and then the second time you play the winner of that game gets to choose the next one until by your eighth or ninth game you've got the whole insanity of all the i mean some of them are little mini expansions like more visitor cards some of them drastic you know add a completely different set of structure like there's there's a cheese one right you know it's like a whole different kind of good to work with i don't know we'll we'll see if that happens or not but yeah so that was so jay's number two my number three was viticulture uh, which was also stonemeyer same as euphoria what was your number two mike my number two was eldritch horror so eldritch horror is kind of something they've done before a little bit you know it's got some of that arkham horror feel originally it seemed like oh this might be orkham horror if it doesn't take eight hours. Well, it's not, but it still takes like three. So, you know, it's still not a fast game, but it is faster. Um, And it's very narrative because everything that you do has some kind of narrative attached because it's all based around cards. You know, there's a deck for all these different cities and each card has a different, you know, each city is on each of the cards. So there's like three different ones most of the time, uh, which they've basically done with other games as well. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a lot of fun. The group that I play this type of game with, they really like it as well. We've been playing it a lot, so I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I liked Eldritch Horror. Obviously, it didn't quite make my list, and I, I do, yeah, like, I think my single favorite thing about it is that the yeah, the flavor text on the cards is just great. Yeah. yeah. To downright hilarious. <laughs> My number two, which I think is one that neither of you has played, although that doesn't mean it would be on your list of yours, is Nations, which is a civilization game I always really liked through the ages. And this is sort of like Eldritch Horror is uh, Arkham Horror, but shorter. Nations 
is kind of pitched as through the ages, but shorter. You start with a board with basic buildings and a certain number of workers and a certain number of resources, and then you have a board where cards come out and you buy the cards and that will give you better buildings or wonders or right it's you're it's thematically obviously there's a lot of, of similarities to through the ages but i i think it works really well at, at doing that uh it's definitely got a lot of different things you can do i think it does war really well one of the most i think common criticisms of through the ages especially if it's a two-player game, is that if you get up in military, you can just trash somebody who's well below you. And so if you don't stay up in that, you're just done. Whereas what they do with the war mechanic in Nations is that some of the cards that roll out on the progress board, that's what they they call the, the board where the cards come out on, are war cards, and if nobody touches those, no war happens. But if somebody buys one of those, then you put a marker at that civilization's current military strength, and then at the end of at the end of the turn, anybody who is below that will lose a victory point and may lose resources. But you can counteract the loss of resources by having a lot of stability in your civilization. If you don't have very much military, you can actually start the war yourself, which will set the the threshold requirement at whatever your current military is, which, hey, might be zero. And so you have the ability to, to do something about it. And unless you have no military and no stability, it never crushes your development in the game. You're going to bleed victory points. But as far as having fun during the course of playing a game, it's much better to have something be smacking around which your victory point total is going to be at the end while still letting you do your thing. So that, I think, is a an added element. So I clearly have to get you guys to play Nations so you can at least know whether or not you like it, even if you don't. Don't you think? I'm always up for it. Yeah. Was the Nations, that was my number two. Jay, what was your... Personal game of the year for 2013. So my number one was Caverna the Cave Farmers. If you've played Agricola, this is sort of a Agricola plus plus. It's by the same company. It's by the same designer even, right? Yes, yes. It's a, it's a sequel to Agricola. Right. So it's kind of the sequel to, sequel to Agricola. It has a lot of the same ideas, the same mechanics, but it's very much refined on those ideas. It's a worker placement game, but there's a huge number of different ways to get victory, to get victory points going. Where Agricola forced you to diversify, this has much fewer, and you can go whole in on one strategy and do really successfully. You do still have to feed your people, but it's I mean, that's just the nature of the game. If it wasn't onerous, there wouldn't be a game. Well, it it is a lot less onerous. I mean, you have to... It's a lot easier to feed your people. Again, because there's there's so many different strategies, there is not nearly the amount of stepping on each other's toes 
that Agricola had, that Viticulture has. There's still enough to be interesting, but there's not enough to just be constantly annoyed at the game. That's the impression I have of why Mike doesn't like Viticulture, is that you just have situations where you can't not be stepped on every turn. Yeah, Caverna is really good. It's If we had a number six, Caverna would be my number six. It's really great, because it's like, oh, it's like Agricola, and Agricola's really great. And it misses out on my top five, because it's really like Agricola. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was my tiebreaker. I'm like, is Caverna be five, or is it... Nah, you know, I've kind of already got this game, and that's going to drop you down uh, a spot. And I didn't even like it at all. (laughs) There you go. Well, I, I should roll that back a little bit. It's not that I didn't like it at all, I just didn't think it was all that great. In some ways, I liked Agricola actually better than Caverna, and I don't, like, I understand why people don't like the worker mechanic, but me personally, I like that because it adds a tension that adds to the game for me. I think when people don't like Agricola, it's partially because it's it's so harsh right at the beginning of the game with the food that in the beginning of a game of Agricola, you don't feel like you're getting anywhere. Right. You feel like you're just desperately trying to not starve to death. Both of them are very much games where you have got to set up some sort of feeding engine very quickly. And if it's your first couple times playing the game and you don't realize that, and you don't set up your engine, you're basically spending the whole game just trying to stay on top of food, possibly failing miserably, and it's just a bad experience. Oh yeah, but I mean, Caverna, setting up a feeding engine just means I generate stuff because you can eat anything. (laughs) It just all converts to food. In Caverna, as you're building whatever it is that you're wanting to do, because often you're going to build to an engine that generates a lot of a particular resource and then try to grab the building that gives you points for that resource or something like that. Building the engine that feeds you can actually be intertwined with your ultimate victory point objective, whereas in Agricola, it feels like a distinctive thing. I I don't know. Okay, so I think one thing we can conclude is that Jay and I, I think, definitely like worker placement games more than Mike does. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I like them. but, like, what is it? Uh, Stone Age is my favorite. So. Stone Age is quite good. Yeah. Not eligible for best games of 2013 yeah. list, however. No. I'd say it was. <laughs> right. We're going to seek it in anyway. Sorry, Chris. Okay. Ooh. For me, second choice, but a valid first choice as well for trying to expose someone to the wonders of worker placement games for the first time. Lords of Waterdeep being the other one. But, okay, so yeah. what was your number one game of 2013, Mike? My number one game of 2013, by sheer volume alone, is Pathfinder Adventure Card Game. Volume of plays or volume of cards owned? Uh, no, volume of plays, because I actually I bought all the original adventures, but I haven't really bought anything since then. So I, I've mainly played this actually as a solo using the rogue, because that's the main character who can actually do solo stuff, because they can, they can get out of trouble if they need to. Yeah. And they, she can do combat like nobody's business. It's pretty great. But yeah, no, so I've played a lot of this solo, and I just, I really enjoyed it. Not all of the mechanics work quite as well as I thought they would initially, but it's still good enough 
that I really, really enjoy it. <laughs> so yeah, it's good enough to be the best game of the year. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty good, good enough. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's, uh, it's bad or whatever. It's just, I want to say, it, it's not excellent. It's like the best game ever, but it, it does what it needs to do. Yeah. I haven't gotten to play the Skull and Crossbones yet, and I'm kind of curious to see what kind of mechanics they, because I, I heard they have mixed things up. But I haven't finished the first one yet, so I was like, why am I going to buy the new one? Yeah, you gotta get, get on that. You have to defeat the Rune Lords or whatever. Right? Isn't that it's the Rise of the Rune Lords Adventure Path was the first year? Yeah. Well, it's kind of in storage right now, so uh, it might be a while. It could be. Okay. And then my personal game of the year, and because it was Jay and Mike's number three, I guess the now official Strange Assembly 2013 <laughs> game of the year is Star Realms. Star Realms is a little bitty deck builder. It's, I think, 15 bucks for the base game, which is enough for two people to play, which in general is the correct number of people to play it with. If you're wearing baggy pants, it fits in your pocket, but it's a very compact thing, and it's just a straightforward deck builder, but then also you get to attack each other. It's obviously a completely different sort of game from... You know, a, a two-hour game of Nations or a, you know, an hour and a half game of Viticulture or something, but it's just really fun to to bust out and play, and I I think that is deserving of of being the top game of the year, even though it's not some you know heavy serious thing. Yeah, I I quite like the game. I've actually played it with like three-on-three massive battles, which is hilarious. Not for the faint of hearts. Did they do that Emperor-style, like... We we did it Emperor-style, yes. Free-for-all is just a little too crazy. Yeah, I played Free-for-all, and it kind of just ended up being who lucked into being the guy who got the last shot, because it's... Pretty much, yeah. As is pretty much always the case with CCGs or, or something like that, or, or I guess any kind of card, almost any sort of card game where you're trying to take out the other players, and that is primarily designed for a dual format. I think that it works better when you take a multiplayer game and make it in teams, so it's still one-on-one in a way. Yeah. It was your number three as well, Mike. Any uh, Any praises you want to sing for Star Realms? I liked it a ton, and then the app came out, and then I played it so much, I'm okay with it, until they had something else. <laughs> I played it so much that, unless there's some other variation, I feel like, you know, there's just correct things to grab. No, they're definitely... It definitely is a game where, for a given board state, there's a correct card to grab. That is true. So I guess our... For what it's worth, our, I guess now, official game of the year for 2013, Star Realms, Viticulture, our preliminary game, after further consideration, second place, congratulations slash, sorry about that, and then, by dint of having all three of us liking it, Trains is second runner-up. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. Trains! Trains, so there you go. Star Realms, Viticulture, Trains, the, uh, I don't know, Strange, something select, recommended. That's what we should do, right? <laughs> well, they've got, 
right? There's like you can get like the dice tower seal of approval on a game. Mm-hmm. Companies would totally put the strange assembly select symbol on their on their quick, products. Quick, go Photoshop that up. <laughs> well, I've got the logos. I get, I honestly would have to learn how to add new words onto the logos. Mm. All right then. So I'd ask if we had anything else we wanted to say about 2013, but you know what? We're just going to move on to 2014. So, 2014, Jay, kick us off. What's your number five? Okay, I, well, what? before we do that, right, let's, we've emphasized this enough probably, but let's say it again. These are hyper-preliminary. There's tons of games for 2014 that we haven't played yet, but, you know, at least what we got, at least what we played so far, this is what our list is. So, number five, Jay. My number five is mysteriously appearing on someone else's list higher. Uh, how about you, Mike? You're number five? Oddly, I am in the same predicament. Oh, gods, no. That means I I actually have to pick a number five now. It's not fair, these decisions and rules that I placed on myself where I have to pick. You know what? My number five is also higher on someone else's list. So there. Excellent. Good job. Jay, number four? <laughs> So my number four is Pairs. Uh, this is another Kickstarter one. Uh, I believe it was Cheapass, right? Did it? Yes, should, it's Cheapass Games. I should be looking up these things. So Pairs is actually an interesting one where it's a card game. You don't have a winner. You have What you have is a loser. So it's always fun, fun in large groups because it supports like two to eight and basically, as you go around playing the game, eventually somebody will lose. Everybody else wins. Also, interestingly, so this was a Kickstarter. The Kickstarter, a lot of what the Kickstarter was for was for different art sets. So they did like 10 or 12 different editions of the game. Each one of those, to my understanding, has a different alternate rules for playing with the deck. So the what the deck is, is it's the numbers 1 through 10, and whatever the number of the card is, that's how many are in the deck. So there's yeah, pyramid style. One, right. There's one number 1, there's two number 2s, all the way up to 10 10s in the deck. And so basically the, the base game, how that plays, you start, you have a card, you go around getting either take a hit, or you fold. If you fold, you're, you could take any card off the table and you add it to your stash. If you take a hit and you make a pair of the cards you've got, you take one of that pair and you put it in your stash. And then the first one to some number of points is the loser. So basically, it's it's a risk management game. But it is definitely one that, is to to me, is a lot of fun in a large group. Again, because there's a loser, so there's a lot of taunting going on. There's a lot of table talk. And I got, like, three of the decks, and they all look beautiful. So I I have to assume all of them look beautiful. Mine does. Okay. They they had a bunch at uh, Wasteland, actually. I looked through all of them. They they looked pretty good, at least, you know, what you could see from the box. Right, right. And I I kick-started it, so I saw all that art anyways when I was figuring out which deck I wanted. Because I love cheap-ass games, and I will yeah. basically throw money at them. So what's your number four, Mike? My number four is Marvel Dice Masters. So Marvel Dice Masters is based on Quarriors, which was a game that was put out in, like, 
2011 or 2012, I want to say. But it, it's definitely a spin on it because it's actually a collectible game. You collect them in $1 packs or whatever. It also lets you re-roll. It, it's a very interesting spin on that type of game. You actually do deck building, so you can... uh Bag building, I guess, whatever. Pool building. No, it's pool not even, building. Well, it's not pool building because it's... Right. What is it, team building, right? That's the kind of problem. Right. Like, there's deck building that you do before you start playing the game, and then there's deck building that you do in the game. So I guess pool building is what you would do, what you do in the game, but then you team build because right. you have to assemble what your available guys are to add to your pool during the game. Right. Okay. Um, you have the standard formats or whatever, and then it's kind of like a CCG or an LCG at that point. Well, it's CCG because it's collectible. So it's a lot of fun. It's a bit too random for me to do it as something that I'm going to do a lot, but it's a really fun diversion. I think it's a, it's a very well-designed game, and it gets rid of a lot of the problems that I had with Warriors, and still have with Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> I actually played that with uh, a friend because he had them. He's like, oh, no, they, they added mechanics, and it's pretty good, and I tried it, and it was still freaking atrocious. Okay. My number four is also higher on someone's list, so let's send it back around to Jay for your number three. Okay, so my number three is Lords of Zidit, which uh, this time I finally remembered to look it up. is published by Libelud. I horribly butchered that, I know. It is a programming game where you're moving your little figures around the board, taking actions, but to do that... You first program out the entire turn of where your little guy's going to move around the board. If I remember correctly, the conceit of it is that you're, like, recruiting armies to go fight off various monsters, right? That is correct. Yeah. See, now that's weird. See, I think you'd be able to remember that because they actually have little plastic soldier pieces, little peasants and spearmen and wizards that you actually have to collect during the course of the game out there on the board. They went to all the effort of having those cool little figures instead of cubes. And then you just forget the theme anyway. Jeez. <laughs> I, yeah, I that's, that's totally Jay's memory. fault. Yes. I'm horrible at memory. I don't know why you're surprised. <laughs> I'm saying it's totally your fault, not the developer's fault for not making it memorable. You know. <laughs> right. What were we talking about? Lords of, I don't know. Lords of Dixit uh, from the Land of Seasons. Excellent. Yes. But yeah, uh, L- Lords of Zidit was my number five, and I think was your number five as well, right, Mike? Yeah. Yeah, so the programming thing adds an interesting twist. You do get in each other's way. It's not the sort of insanity in Robo Rally. I mean, I think Robo Rally's <laughs> got the insane program yes. movement covered, although Twin Tin Bots wasn't, wasn't a bad follow-up. But Robo Rally, definitely the, the king of that. The other thing it has... You have to, when you're paying attention to your scoring, is there's three different categories in which you're being scored at the end of the game, but instead of it all just adding up into a big victory point mishmash, it's, uh, and you know what the categories, what the order is going to be at the start of the game. You look at one category, whoever loses in that category is kicked out. You look at the second category, whoever's losing in that category is kicked out, and then the last two players will continue for the final, which is, one of the reasons why, although the game says three to five players on the box, I think realistically it is a four-player game, period. Can you not do it with five? I haven't tried. You can, but 
I feel like five would not be, as is often the case, would not be worth the extra time of having a fifth player. I guess if you wanted it to be a bit more crowded, I think with five with five players you have to kick two people out in one of them, and then with three players you have to add a dummy player in. Yeah. So you actually have somebody to kick out. And my, as a almost ironclad rule. If you have to add a dummy player in at a certain player count, I'm just done with that. I actually liked it in Lords of Zidic, because it's not just a dummy player. People actively choose what he's advancing in, so you can actually use it to potentially... Right, you can actually use it to screw over people, which is kind of an interesting twist on it. I'll be honest... I looked at it and saw a dummy player for three, and I just skipped that part of the rulebook. I... Yeah, no, uh, we had to do it because we only had three, and I wanted to play that game a lot. And, no, it, it actually is pretty legit, I felt like. Okay, so that was... Jay's number three was Lords of Zidit, and your number three, Mike. My number three was Conquest, Warhammer Conquest. So this launched this year at Gen Con. I don't like it quite so much as something else that maybe is also on my list a little bit later, but it's it's pretty good. Yeah. I ended up trading the two copies that I bought for another copy of the game that is going to be ranked higher, ah. and now I'm probably, <laughs> I'm probably just going to end up buying three copies of the game again. <laughs> because I am smart. That is, that is one way to look at it. I also think it's worth thinking about just on its own terms. As far as a standalone product. Just buying the one forty dollars box and messing around with that? Right. Yeah. So that was Mike's number three. My number three was another uh, Gen Con release, which is the which was the battle at Kemble's Cascade. Uh, talked about this uh, a couple of times, so I won't belabor the point, but it's the, the sort of 80s space video game themed shooter your combination of invaders and Galaga and R-Type and and all that sort of thing. I suspect as I as I come to play it more that there's a few little mechanical quirks that like maybe the Gamma Beam's too good and stuff, but it's just really fun and it I think it does the theme really well with how the board scrolls. I did play it with somebody who really had no knowledge of this sort of video game and did not understand what the whole scrolling board was because they never played a video game that just automat auto scrolled on you but i think it's just really fun and really captures what those sorts of games were doing it plays up to five i would i would not play that one with five there's no compensation for the fact that there's a fifth player and so the board just gets really crowded it adjusts the width of the, the screen as it were when you go down from four to something less than that but that's my number three right now, the battle at Kemble's Cascade. How about your number two, Jay? So my number two is Zia, Legends of a Drift System, made by Far Off Games. This was another Kickstarter. This is, in fact, is probably the Kickstarter I was most looking forward to for ages. I'm glad I finally got it. They had me in their Kickstarter description when they said that they loved Escape Velocity, and that was part of the influence of this. The setup is it's this weird system in space where all of the things are moving around constantly, thus it's it's random tiles to build out the map. 
And so it's it's a very free-form game. When you start the game, everybody gets a ship. Every single ship is different in its layout and in what its powers are. And so then based on your layout, it will tell you... You have to play a little bit of Tetris to fit all of your upgrades, your engines, your shields, your weapons into the ship properly, as well as that's also your cargo space. But there's lots of different ways to play the game. You can be the explorer, go try to get all the tiles flipped. That can get you points. You can be the trader. You can try to get a trade route going, make a bunch of money. That can get you points. You can be the pirate. You can get some weapons. You can go shoot the other players down. That gets you points. There's just a lot of different ways to play the game. And there's all sorts of nice little subtle touches. And then it's also going to be interesting. It's very much a moddable game. They just recently put up their website that the first expansion is print and play, where they have files that you can put on your 3D printer to make new chips. They've got all the boards that you can make new ship boards that way. So it'll be interesting. Wait, wait, Jay. They do not have files that you can put on your 3D printer because you do not have a 3D printer. No one who listens to this podcast actually owns a 3D printer. Uh, <laughs> don't count that out. Those are showing up on Kickstarter for 100 bucks these days. I have a friend who has got one. So Let's say, are you printing him at work? Or no? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not like the highest quality, but it's <laughs> definitely doable. Yes, yes. The 3D printers can come out, and then Games Workshop can go around suing everybody who's offering <laughs> blueprints to a, this totally isn't a space marine. Right. I'm sorry, but I, I interrupted your... Uh... No, no, that's okay. I, I was mostly done. I mean, that's... <laughs> okay, so, Mike, how about your number two? My number two, once again, sadly, on higher on somebody else's list. All right. My number two is Splendor, which was totally robbed by not winning the Spiel des Jahres. This is the very straightforward gateway game engine builder. Every turn, you either take a few gem chips, and this game would be much less cool if it did not have the awesome poker chips. Yes. And then, you know, you use those to buy cards in the first row, which then kind of have a permanent gem generation, which lets you buy cards and in higher rows, and then, and so on, and, and so forth. Absolutely not a strategic heavyweight, but really fun. That's Splendor, my my number two of 2014 so far. Now it's Jay, and, and it's going to be very difficult to guess what Jay and Mike's number one game of 2014 was. <laughs> Town. Sorry, needed to be said that way. Hardner. Um, <laughs> exactly. So for anybody who's been living under a rock for the past few years, Doomtown Reloaded is a reboot of an old CCG, Doomtown. It's a Wild West theme, but it's it's the quote-unquote weird West. So you have mad scientists, you have zombies, you have all sorts of crazy nonsense running around. And so I think one of the most innovative mechanics in card gaming 
every card in the deck has a poker value, and whenever there's a confrontation between the two sides, you draw hands of poker, and you do poker hands to compare to figure out who wins. And other than that, it's, you know, a shoot-em-up game. You're trying to take over the town, and to do so, you pew-pew the other guy into submission. Is your number one as well, uh, Mike? you have anything else you want to add? Strap shotgun onto Wendy Prophet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's she's not shabby. And uh, and Doomtown Reloaded was my number four. Uh, we we skipped earlier. Because Chris has no heart. Sorry, I mean goods. Those are just a lame <laughs> card type. Yeah, so my my number one, which was. Jay's number five and Mike's number two was Valley of the Kings, which I have to say I was thinking about this earlier today is one of the nice things about doing the podcast and sometimes getting review copies is that every once in a while you get and play a game that you otherwise would probably not have looked at. And I think that Valley of the Kings falls into that category. When my review copy of that showed up, I had completely forgotten that the game had even been announced. Yeah. And it's just this little small box game from AEG. I think it came out at Origins. They still have that? They they do. It's actually picked back up a little bit, but yeah, anyway, yes, they do still have Origins. But it, Valley of the Kings is a little bitty deck builder. Uh, it's got an ancient Egyptian theme. Over the course of the game, you you are deck building, but then you also are deck fitting, not just a, I get rid of the junk cards in my way, but cards in your deck at the end of the game are worth nothing whatsoever. You have to get them into your deck, and then you have to entomb them, because, of course, he who dies with the most toys wins. Hooray! It's just like real death. <laughs> <laughs> So there's set collection elements to this because the scoring for many of the cards is uh, exponential based on the the number of cards that you have. You know, one card is one point, two cards is four points, three cards is nine, and and so on. The whole fact that getting rid of cards is so different really makes this play quite differently that a lot of deck builders do, especially when you start getting near the end of the game. And and then when you acquire cards, it's also got this pyramid, right? There's three, two, one cards, and you can only acquire the bottom three, but if you acquire one of the bottom ones, then the, the higher-up cards will crumble down and, and might let you acquire them. Basically, every card in the game, I think, has an ability and a, a gold value, so you actually have to choose which one to use them for every time your turn comes up. There's no just single function cards. I think it's just a really good little game. And I know, I guess my my 2013 number right now is also a little game, but this is... I, I think Valley of the Kings, while not being very long, is a I think is a definitely a deeper game than Star Realms. Now, if Doomtown had not come out this year, it probably would have been my number one game. It was, they're both really, really good. Last year at the end of 2013, it was Viticulture, I guess. We'll go ahead and dub this the preliminary game of the year for 2013, uh, knowing that the real game of the year, of course, has to come later after the chance we've had the chance to 
play more, but I guess our preliminary game of the year for 2014 is then Doomtown Reloaded. Uh, <laughs> the two number ones did beat out my Valley yeah. of the, the Kings. Sorry, yeah. Well, that was second, so... Lords of Zidda is in third place, so... But yeah, there's so many things that we haven't played. I mean, for example, for most people this year, probably not the right phase. Probably if you if you took the conglomerate of board gaming opinion and dubbed a game of the year for 2014 so far, it would be Dead of Winter, which, if I'm not mistaken, we've actually managed to not have any of us play. Yeah, I want to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Imperial Assault just came out. I think hit wide release in the U.S., even if it's not, it's a 2014 release. We haven't played that. That will probably be pretty cool. Over on the the Euro side, there's Kanban Automotive Revolution. I like Civ games, as you can tell from me putting Nations up. I'm looking forward to playing Imperial Settlers. Five Tribes has done very well so far, although... I have to say the AP potential of that game seems horrifying. So out of the things from that we know are 2014 releases, is there anything that stands out as a, oh man, this is when you got to get out there and play? I think you did uh, all of them for me. Yeah, same for me. <laughs> well, there you go. So there's our 2013 look back, our 2014 preliminary wrap up of the year we'll continue to play the you know the best games hopefully the best games more so than the other ones from 2014 as we move into 2015 i am going on vacation so this will be the last you hear from us in podcast form for this year yes yes although i'm i'm not joking what i'm saying my i am planning on packing some RPG books for reviewing. So it is possible that in order to escape from my family, because I don't know that I can really take two weeks of of extended family all all together at once. I will be retreating to to an office to <laughs> to write some reviews. That's the plan. That's that's the plan. So to to all of our listeners out there, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Merry Saturnalia, or whatever. Happy Festivus for the rest of us. There you go. But until next year, you have been listening to Strange Assembly. You can find us on the web at strangeassembly.com. You can download our podcast there, or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. If you visit iTunes, we'd appreciate it if you left a review or a rating that can help other people discover the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Strange Assembly. If you want to get a hold of me directly, I always like to hear from our uh, readers and listeners. That's Chris at StrangeAssembly.com. But until then, for Jay Earl and Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. Doom Town. <laughs>